Welcome back to Agent Investor, inspiring stories of active agents investing in real estate and building passive income. In a business where potential deals are all around you, why not leverage your skills to invest for yourself, your family, and your future? And now, let's jump into the latest episode of Agent Investor. I am super excited. We've got David Green on the line. What's going on, David? What's up, Tom? How are you doing, man? I'm doing really well. So, um, you know, usually I bring people on. They're they're investors. They they're in the business every day, just doing you know little things here and there and sharing tips. Not too often that I've got a published author, uh, a guy who's been on Entrepreneur on Fire, Cash Flow Diary podcast. Um, What's going on with you? What's uh, what's new with what you're working on right now? Life is good, man. I just had a book get published uh, called Long Distance Real Estate Investing, How to Buy, Rehab, and Manage Out-of-State Rental Properties. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think that there's a whole lot of information out there about this, at least nothing that's very good at all. And so I'm really excited that people who previously have thought like, I can't invest. I don't have enough money. I don't live in the right area. I don't know what to do. Really, uh, there's a lot more opportunities open to people than what they're thinking. And this book kind of spells out exactly how I did it, how I built my systems and how it's way easier than you're probably thinking. Yeah. So um, like we were kind of hitting on before we jumped on live, it's crazy right now. I mean, the market's on fire in areas like where you're at, kind of San Francisco market, where I'm at, Boston, it's incredibly difficult to cash flow right now. Um, I started accumulating rental units back when the market crashed and I could buy any property. Didn't matter. I could even buy single families in the Boston market and still cash flow. Now, and I buy properties at a discount, my average discount on fair market value is about 30%. Even when I get that discount, I still can't cash flow right now in Boston. And a lot of California is like that. There's a lot of markets in, in different parts of the country that are just too expensive to cash flow. So what got you initially thinking, I've got to invest in a different market? I'm in the exact same boat as you. So I'm, I'm in California and I started buying houses in 2009 when the market crashed and I could buy them. Really, I don't think I had any idea how good I had it. I mean, it was just stupid. Yep. You could just reach your hand and, and pull out any number of houses that would cash flow and were easy to rent out and didn't even need to be rehabbed. It was just like, I was newer and I didn't understand how good it was. I should have been scooping up as many as I possibly could. But like most people, we, you know, we're conservative and, and we think about what could go wrong, not what could go right. Mm-hmm. So when housing became too expensive, right around 2013 over here, it happened fast. It was like, Everything was for sale. And then in two months, nothing was for sale. All these boomerang buyers that had short sales came back into the market. They said, hey, this time I could get a fixed rate mortgage instead of adjustable. I'm buying right now. All the inventory flew off the shelves and prices got out of hand really fast. So I spent about a year kind of sulking and feeling bad. Like I wished I had done better, but realizing, you know, it sucks. I can't buy property, but dang, my stuff has gone up like 150 grand in six months. Right. If I had five houses, I just made myself was like $750,000 in net worth, just the market carrying me. And I saw how powerful real estate was. And I realized I don't want to miss out on this. Like that's the easiest money I've ever made. And the risk is really, really low because your tenants are paying your, your expenses for you. Right. And I just thought that real estate, while it's not easy money, it's not like buying some Bitcoin and watching it go up times a thousand and you now you feel like you're an expert. There's a little more work that goes into it. 
it's so powerful. And really, if you do it right, it's pretty safe. So uh, I was watching TV one day and on Fox Business News, they had an agent from Arizona and she sold a lot of homes. And she was saying, our market's still really good. I work with tons of investors. And I heard investor and perked up like, I'm an investor. Let's hear about this. And I went and looked online and the price to rent ratio was like better than the 1% margin. And I'm Mm -hmm. thinking real estate, I missed the boat. It's too late. And now I'm looking like, oh my gosh, that looks like what my market used to look like. They got tons of foreclosures. They got tons of houses for sale. So I called her and called her and called her until finally she answered the phone and I told her what I wanted. I flew to Arizona, we met and we started looking at homes and that became like the genesis of my out-of-state investing kind of journey. So I started in real estate in 2004. Well, start is kind of a you know interesting word. I was interested in real estate in 2004. The market was on fire again. I couldn't buy anything that, that, that rented out back then. So I spent like a year to two years, literally, um, researching different markets across the country. And what I found was that different markets have such different rent to price ratio and even just appreciation. I mean, there's markets across the country that they've appreciated for 3% a year for the past 50 years. And then there's markets like yours and mine, they might go up 20% in a year and they might go down 20% in a year. So um, it's really, really interesting just to look at different markets all across the country. And every market is a little bit different. Supply and demand is different. The rent to price rate ratio is different. But um, so you were looking in what, what part of Arizona was it? It was the like the Phoenix metro area. When did you start looking there? 2014. Yeah. 2014. So can you still cash flow there? I feel like that might even not even work anymore. Not, not well. You can a little bit, you know, you can get an eight to 10, maybe a 12% return out there, but you're not getting the built-in equity that I look for in my deals. Mm. So what made you look at Phoenix? Was it just that that person, you saw a commercial and that was really it? <clears throat> yeah, I saw her on the news and I thought, there it is. And it, it, it was closer. And I had this weird idea in my head that closer meant safer, like most people do. So I just thought, oh, they're in Arizona. I can jump on a plane and be there and whatever. And it just to be honest with you, that's such a stupid thought to have. There's no reason that we should ever be going to look at our properties unless you're a construction guy or a, your trade is you're a home inspector and you know what you're looking at. There's no reason for you to go. There's there's people that will do that much cheaper and better than you could anyways. But that was kind of how I got started. And what I really, I just basically said, okay, what do I have in California? I have what I call my core four. They're the four people that you need if you want to be able to invest anywhere. It's a, a, a deal finder, like an agent or a wholesaler or yourself, if that's if you're doing your own thing. And then a property manager, a contractor, and a lender. So I met this agent and she had a lender and she had a property manager. And then the property manager had contractors. And I realized like, I got the same people out there that I have here. And really I was working like 80, 90 hours a week as a cop. So even this stuff in California, I wasn't going to fix the leaks. I wasn't Mm -hmm. going to paint, right? I was hiring someone to do it. So when I started doing the thing in Arizona, I realized it isn't really different. It's the exact same thing, except I'm not tempted to get more involved than I need to be. I kind of had aha moment with one of my California properties. I had some tenants move out property management wanted to spend like 150 bucks to get the locks changed. I said, no way I can buy the locks for 50 bucks and do it myself. Long story short, I spent like five hours going back and forth between the house and Home Depot and trying to buy the tools and trying to learn how to change locks. And I realized I could have made $250 at work on overtime rather than trying to save myself 150 or $100 here. It was a bad idea. 
So I decided at that moment, I'm done trying to do stuff that I'm not good at. I'm not a property manager. I'm not a handyman. I'm not a painter. I'm not a contractor. Let them do their thing and I'll focus on my thing. So when you're investing out of state, it kind of forces you to run your business like a business. You can't get tempted to step down out of your like CEO position and try to get on the assembly line with the crew. You got to stay as a CEO and you got to run your company wisely. And in the book, I just talk about the systems that I put in place that are really simple so that anybody can do it. Yeah. And let me take that up a little step further. You said, you know, stepping out of the CEO role and stepping into the kind of worker role to save money. But I would actually argue, forget about even your time. You're going to screw things up because I, and I did this, this is, you know, everybody I think who owns any rental property starts the wrong way. And so every little thing along the way in Massachusetts is a, is a very litigious state. So tenant landlord laws, like I didn't know them. I didn't know what I was doing. And we got ourselves in a lot of trouble. Evictions that should have taken two months took us a year. And that was because of me. That was because I was getting involved because I wasn't the expert. So a lot of times you might even think that you're saving saving money, but you actually might be losing money because guess what? You're stepping into a role that you've never done before. You suck at it. So you're probably not going to be pretty good at it. So you started, how many rentals did you have before you realized you couldn't buy in the Bay Area anymore? I had four units. Sorry, I had four properties and one of them was a fourplex. So it was basically like having like seven or eight units. Okay, cool. And so to move into the, the next market, which was Arizona for you, were you taking equity out of the original properties to, to get into Arizona? How were you kind of funding these? No, I just worked like a madman to save up money. I didn't I didn't understand much about business or real estate. I, I could have been borrowing money with the track record I had. I could have been refinancing, like you said. I just worked crazy hours and saved up money and I started putting down payments on properties. And what I found is that I could save 30 or 40 grand and I could put a down payment on a house and I could maybe do that twice a year. So mm. I was thinking I got to work like crazy because I'm in this like Arizona's not going to stay cheap forever. I got to buy as much as I can. And if I had been more experienced or wiser, I would have been doing the Burr method, you know, buying, rehabbing, uh, renting, refinancing, and then repeating. And I could have taken the same 80 grand and I could have continually recycled it, buying more and more houses uh, instead of just buying two, maybe three on a good year at a time. So it was all my own capital. So let's say that you did do it the right way. How much more do you think your net worth would have, would have increased between now and then? I, I don't want to make you upset, but I no, I, I just want to illustrate a point. It's probably over a million yeah. dollars, right? Way multiple million dollars. I mean, it's sickening to think about how one moment of just saying, hey, let me go reach out to somebody who knows what they're doing. Let me read a book. Let me listen to podcasts and hear some other guys talk about how they do it. You're literally talking two houses a year would have turned into like two a month probably, right? So you're probably at 12 a month and each of those has appreciated just in Arizona, $100,000. So that's 1.2 million. And then do the same thing in California and the same thing in Florida, probably three to $4 million in network I lost out on yeah. doing inefficient way. So um, you went into Arizona. Are you still buying in Arizona? Very, very rarely. And when I do, it's maybe a couple of years and it's mostly flips. I'm not buying as much buy and hold there. So what are you looking for? You mentioned the price to rent ratio. 
what are you looking for in order to say this is a market that's worthwhile? And then when do you know it at, at what point do you say this market doesn't work anymore? So in the book, I talk about a target rich environment, right? You can find deals anywhere. I really believe that. But do you want to spin your wheels forever trying to find that deal? It's a lot of, you don't get a good return on your time, first of all. And then you just got to understand when you're working, but you're not getting deals and you're not making money, you get discouraged and you're going to end up quitting at some point. Like you need that success to to fuel you, to get you back out there and start doing it again. So I know this about myself. So I want to go find markets where I'm very, very likely to have success. You know, um, I don't want to look for, you know, like the perfect wife in a club. Um, you might find one. You could go to a club and there's lots of girls and you might find a, a really, really good girl that you want to take home to marry, but it's not very likely that that's who you're, where you're going to find if that's what you're looking for. So for me, I'm looking to do buy and holds. I want to go to a market where there's a big chance of success that there are 1% properties all over the place because I know they're going to cash flow. And then I want to look for an area that also has a lot of inventory. I don't want to be somewhere that everything that's on the MLS is selling in three days. I don't want to be around all the competition. I don't want hedge funds in that market trying to snatch everything up. And I want a lot of distressed inventory. So, you know, I talk about in the book, there's there's three forms of distress. And to investors, distress equals deal. That's what you're finding. You've got market distress, you've got personal distress, and you've got property distress. So market distress is like what you and I took advantage of in 2009, 2010. That's not the case in most places right now or anywhere. Personal distress is stuff like the guy's going through a divorce, they're, they're, somebody passed away, they lost their job, they're going into foreclosure, they got to sell that house fast. That's what like full-time real estate investors spend their time looking for. That's really probably the best way to find a deal. But I'm not a full-time dude. I got a job, I have to work, and so that's not going to work. So what I focus on is property distress. I have agents, wholesalers, uh, other investors looking for properties that are in terrible disarray. So I want to find a market that's likely to have those. Mm-hmm. and 1% rule stuff. And then if I find a lender in that area that will let me borrow, I'm in a great position. Now I have a target-rich environment where I'm very likely to have success and I pour my time and resources into building my team in that market. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with the 1%, um, so basically, if you're collecting $2,000 in rent, you want to, you want to buy a property that's $200,000 or less, right? Correct. Okay. Um, so you know, that's a pretty simple formula. And would you say from your experience that guarantees cash flow on a month to month basis? Yeah, that's why we do it. I mean, if you have an HOA or something like that, it'll throw it off, of course. Or maybe if you're in a market like, like Texas, where they don't have a state income tax and property taxes are super high, you might want to adjust that a little bit. But in general, if you're collecting 1% of the property's value every single month, you are very likely to cash flow because anything we buy needs a cash flow. That's kind of like the first criteria that we need to hit. And from there, you start working down the checklist of things that you want to find. So you went from buying in the Bay Area because that's where you were born and raised. You got motivated by seeing an ad um, on the Phoenix market. So I'm, I'm going to guess that you're in at least another market after that and that this third market was the one where you actually put a lot more time, effort, and energy into saying, where am I going to go? Is that right? You are a smart man, Tom. <laughs> you, should, you should have your own podcast. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> tell us about what that process was like because you kind of had the, the – I don't want to say the second market was an accident, but it was kind of an accident. So what happened in the third market and, and where did you end up going? Yeah, you're exactly right. The first market, California, that's where I kind of like 
I got my my chops wet. And then the second market I just stumbled into and I realized, oh, I can keep doing this. So now I have a little bit of confidence. The third market I went to was intentional. So when I was in Arizona, I realized I can't get Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac loans anymore because I have more than 10 finance properties. So mm-hmm. then I needed a portfolio lender. So now they're making me put down 30%. I'm getting five one arms. Um, they won't let me use, like I wanted to burr out there, but I couldn't because the, the portfolio lender that would let me borrow wouldn't let me borrow against the appraised price. They only want to let me borrow against my cost, which meant if I buy a house for 50 grand and I put 50 into fixing it up, I'm all in for a hundred. They wanted to let me borrow 75 percent of that hundred, not 75% of the 150 that it was worth. Mm-hmm. So it didn't really make sense to Burr because I wasn't getting to take advantage of all that extra equity that I had created. So what happened is I found a lender in Florida and he said, Hey, we'll let you borrow. We'll put you on the line of credit. It was really good terms that they had, they loved my track record. They had seen me and they said, Hey, let's do it. Mm-hmm. So once I realized I got a lender, I can borrow check one. Uh, there's tons of 1% property, check two. There's tons of property over here that is in disarray because it's like they still had a lot of foreclosures in Florida. It's a judicial state. So the, the foreclosure inventory moves much more slowly through the process. And so there was a lot of stuff that was there. And um, it was still a market that had potential to grow, right? It wasn't like a dead market like Detroit where you could find tons of stuff that would theoretically cash flow but there's no one to rent it. It's a market that people were still moving to. So I went together, putting together the core four. I had a lender and then I went and found a couple of real estate agents and a wholesaler. And then those people helped me to find property managers. And then property managers helped me to find contractors. And I just went through the different property managers till I find the one that I really liked. I went through the contractors till I found one or two that I really, really liked. Now, not only do I have a team in Florida that can do everything that I need to get deals going, I have like a dream team. We're talking like 1992 men's basketball. We're destroying everybody. I can pay more than you for that same property because my contractor is cheaper, right? Mm -hmm. I can write more offers than you because I got five or six agents that look daily for me to find deals that know my criteria. And because I've given them my criteria and I don't need to contact them, they just need to know my standard. I give them my standard. They know what I need. They only send me stuff that matches it. And then they coordinate the inspector and the contractor going to the house to get the bids and see what's wrong. So I'm sitting over here at work, arresting people, writing tickets, eating donuts, you know, all the stuff that cops do. And I got this like crew of people that are working for me passively. And it's the same principle that we put together when we want passive income. We want to buy rentals that generate money for us all the time. I'm using those same principles that investors already understand to find the deals. Let's take a quick break from the episode to get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors. Investors, join our free private Facebook group. Just go to joincameroncoaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there. Where in Florida? I'm in Jacksonville, Florida or Northern Florida. Basically, if you go into Southern Florida, it's very expensive. It doesn't make sense over there, right? I also actually moved into Arkansas, believe it or not. There's not a lot of investors in Arkansas. There's a good chance for success. It's a target-rich environment. And I had a crew of people out there that can help me with investing, other investors that I met. And I talk about that in the book. Everybody asks me, what market should I go to? What's the next big thing, right? We always want to know that, but nobody really does, okay? What you can know is what market do you have a competitive advantage in? Because if it makes sense to buy, buy there and buy somewhere else. You can buy anywhere. You just want to find a place where you have a competitive advantage because you're likely to succeed. So my assumption is the cash flow is a little bit better in Arkansas. The cash flow is, but it's uh, a little bit harder to find the property. So in Florida, I'm finding stuff that's like really distressed. 
and I can burr much easier and pull out more of my capital. So my ROI ends up a lot higher in Florida, but the cash flow ends up better in Arkansas. Okay. So what do the numbers look like in Jacksonville, roughly? I'm buying stuff between 50 and 80,000. I'm spending between 20 and 40,000 and they're worth between 110 and 150. Mm -hmm. So I'm pretty consistently able to be all in for 70 to 80% of the ARV. And what are you renting those out for? Um, they're really close to the 1% rule uh, on a typical deal. It let you assume that you pull all your cash out, right? Let's say that I do great and I get all my cash back out. I'm cash flowing between 300 to $500 a month. Nice. On yeah. a single family, I'm assuming, right? Single families for the most part. Yeah. Everybody looks for multifamily, Tom. That's like a big deal. Everybody wants them, especially if you're new to investing and you think that they're like safer. The problem with multifamily is they're usually in areas of town that have been zoned specifically for multifamily and they're usually not the best areas of town. So you're picking over the leftovers that all the experienced guys didn't want. Now, every market's different, right? I'm not going to discourage people from looking for multifamily. Yep. The reason I'm not looking for it specifically is because I find that it's been really picked over. I'm going through the clearance bin that nobody else wanted, trying to find like that one thing that I might be able to wear. Whereas I'd rather go to a part of the department store that's like really far away in the back and nobody goes there and they have a lot of stuff on sale and I'm just more likely to find something I'm going to want. Now, when the market shifts, that's when I'm going to look at multifamily again. So one thing we didn't touch upon is the tenant landlord laws. And so you're in three different areas that have a pretty big differential, I would say, from one to the other. So your stuff in California, I'm assuming, very heavily favors the tenant, right? Yes. And then your stuff in Jacksonville probably pretty heavily favors the landlord. Yes. Have you had issues with tenants in Jacksonville? Um, the only times I have an issue with a tenant in Jacksonville is when I knew I was going to have issues with those tenants in Jacksonville. Cause I knew the kind of property that I was buying. Right. Yep. So I just factor that into the price that we're willing to pay for it. You, you figure there's going to be vacancy and maintenance expenses. One strategy that I've used, like in the book, I talk about, I'm a big proponent of you adjust your game plan to the market you're going to, right? I'm a big sports guy, right? I believe that you adjust your game plan to the defense that you're going to be playing against. Or if you're a coach, you change the way you coach to match the players you have. You don't coach the same way regardless of the players you have. So when I'm buying in a market like California, that's a little bit more landlord friendly, I'm trying to be in B, B plus, A minus properties because the type of tenant that I'm going to get is less likely to cause me a problem. So I don't need to worry about the laws not being in my favor because I'm not going to be renting to people that would try to take advantage of me as likely. Now, when I go to an area that's more landlord friendly, I can be a little more aggressive with the type of property that I buy. I can deal with a tenant base that's going to be more problematic because they don't have as much leverage to use against me as far as the law. Mm. Does that make sense a little bit? Absolutely. So yeah, I take my risks in these markets where I have the advantage. So like, you know, it's like, it's a second down and one. That's when I'm going to throw a really deep pass and make a big risk. Cause if I don't get it, I can still run the ball on third and one and get the first down. I don't take a big risk when it's like, you know, third and one, and we're going to try to go long. And if it's a lower chance for success, and if we don't get it, we got to punt. I think too many people get in their mind. This is what's comfortable for me. This is what I'm used to. And they try to apply that to whatever market they're going to go to. You got to adjust your strategy to the strengths of that specific market. But that's what makes it so much fun because not a lot of people are doing that and they're missing out. 
So one of the things that, um, you know, we talked about was people being nervous about going into a different market where they're, where they're not comfortable. But what I'm hearing from you and what I've heard from everybody who's pretty much ever invested out of state is if you're in a market that you don't have the 1% rule and you're in a market where the tenant landlord laws really favor the tenant, you're basically losing on day one. Like no matter what you do, no matter how good you are, you're losing on day one. And the fact that 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 property could be next door to you, right? If if you've got a property that you live in and there's a multifamily right next to you and you buy it and the rent to price ratio doesn't work and you've got tenants in there that you can't get out, it doesn't matter. You can you could live in that house and you're still gonna lose. And what you're saying is, you know, factor in everything else, get the the rent to price ratio right, go to a place where you've got some laws that favor you, get a good property manager, get get a good real estate agent, get a good lender. Um, and you can make it happen. How do you, how do you go about finding a lender? So like in, in Jacksonville, which was a completely new market to you, how do you, how do you get somebody who, who wants to lend to an out-of-stater? So I've got this theory and I talk about it in the book and it's basically that rock stars, no rock stars, that people who are awesome at what they do tend to hang around other people that are awesome at what they do. I remember seeing Tiger Woods hanging out with Roger Federer when Roger Federer was at the top of the tennis game and Tiger was at the top of golf game and thinking like, what do these guys have in common? How are they yeah. friends, right? Yeah. It's because they both strive for excellence. They have super high standards for themselves. They hold themselves accountable and they want to be around other people who think the same way because it brings the best out of them. We're just naturally drawn to people that are, that are how we perceive ourselves. And the same works for people that aren't good. Shady people tend to be around shady people. Liars tend to be around other liars, right? And they just ruin each other's lives together. What you need to do is find one rock star of any of those four and use that four or use that rock star to help you find other ones. So I knew a wholesaler that was in Florida who knew I was looking for to invest in real estate. They said, hey, David, I want to sell houses. And I said, well, I can't buy them, dude. I don't know what to tell you. He said, what if I find you a lender? I said, you find me a lender, I'll go buy your houses. He mm-hmm. found me a lender. The lender was awesome. Yep. Now, I've, now I've got a deal finder. Now I've got a lender. Now I just started reaching out to real estate agents and saying, hey, my wholesaler is sending me deals. I don't know this market. I need you to run the comps on these properties and see if the ARV they're giving me is correct. Right. Mm-hmm. And if you do that for me, I'll let you list the stuff that I don't want to keep. And I'll also let you look for properties for me together. So now I found some hungry agents that are willing to do the things that I need to be done. Right. I'm not going to actually go try to run comps and learn a whole new market myself. I'm going to find an expert who's already there that knows it. And I'm taking advantage of their knowledge. Now those agents can connect me to property managers. Now I have another layer of protection. I can, every time an agent or a wholesaler brings me a deal, I send the address to the property manager and say, Hey, is this a good buy? He doesn't want to buy a place in a war zone. He doesn't want to buy a place that's going to be a headache, right? So he runs through and says, David, no, don't buy there. That's the wrong side of the tracks. Three blocks over, you're okay. This is not a good place to be, right? So I pass up on those deals. I think what gets in our minds is that we got to do everything because we're not thinking like a CEO. We're thinking like a worker bee. I got to know this. I got to know that. I got to fly there and drive the streets. No, you don't. You do not need to drive the streets. You need to know someone that knows the streets. Mm-hmm. And it make it their job to look out for your interests. And if you make sure that your interests are aligned with theirs, then they're going to do that for you. 
I use my property managers to check on my contractors before I send them the next draw. So if he tells me we're going to do floors and paint with the first draw, I have my property manager go and take a video of everything that was done and send it to me and confirm, yeah, that the paint and the floors were put in and they look good. And I do that because if that project gets done and I turn it over to him to rent out, he realizes that the plumbing wasn't fixed right or we didn't hang the doors correctly or whatever went on. Now that's his problem and he's got to fix it. So I want him catching it before it becomes a problem. And they want to be involved in that because A, it feels good to their ego that they get to help. And B, they don't inherit a headache when the contractor's gone and you can't get them back out there. So what's been the biggest challenge of, of setting this up out of state? Like if you had to go into, are, now are you in any other markets or are those the, uh, the three markets you're in? Well, no, four. So you mentioned those, Arkansas. Those are the four I'm in personally. I have mortgage notes in uh, Wisconsin. But that's not really the same process of buying a rental. And then I'm a partner with other people buying like large multi-unit complexes in Texas, Georgia, and Florida. So I'm in those markets too, but I'm not using this same kind of system in those markets. So let's say that you had to go into a fifth market. What would be the biggest challenge for you getting into the next market? It's the very initial get your foot in the door phase that stops most people from doing it. It's always hardest in the very beginning. So in the very beginning, what I'm going to do, let's say, pick a market that you think I might want to invest in. Just throw one out there. Uh, let's see. What what might be good right now? Um, hmm, how about Ohio? Okay, that is a good one. There's, there's, a, lot of, there's a lot of cash flow stuff. Cash flow there, yeah. Right. So I'm going to start calling every Keller Williams office because I work at Keller Williams, but I'll also call the Century 21s, the Coldwell Bankers, all the big brokerages. And I talk about this whole, this whole process in the book. And I'm going to say, hey, I'm looking to buy property in your area. I'm looking to buy a lot of it. What is your best rock star agent that has worked with investors or invest themselves? And I want them to give me two, three, maybe four names of the top people in their office who are known as working with investors. And I'm making a list. I'm calling every one of them. That's a simple Google real estate brokerage. And you're going to get a list of all these people in the area you want. And I'm not calling an, an each individual agent. I'm calling their office and I'm asking to talk to their team leader or their broker or their manager and saying, hey, of your guys, who's, who's the best talent? And I'm collecting a list. Then I'm going to call that list and say, this is what I want. What, what do you do in this area? What have you done? And I'm looking for agents that either invest themselves or work with a lot of investors. And the reason I want that is I don't just need the agent to find me a deal. I also want to tap into his network. If he works with other investors, then he knows people that can do the work. He knows the handymen are the cheapest. He knows the best property managers. Like he got all, he has all the connections and the information that I need. And I don't want to waste my time with 20 mediocre guys. I want to find one or two Michael Jordans that I can build my team around. Mm-hmm. So once you've got that, the rest of it just kind of like starts to take off really, really fast. He's introducing me to property managers. If I find the very best one, they work with a lot of other investors, they're going to bring me deals. When they know that investor that's 80 years old and doesn't want to own his portfolio anymore, I'm going to get a hold of it before it goes to the MLS because I'm telling that property manager, hey, I want to increase my portfolio. Who do you know that wants to sell? They're going to, I mean, as you know, Tom, handyman and contractor is like the hardest thing to find. You will kill yourself trying to find a good one. So I don't look for them. I look for the people that know them. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a process in itself that can take two, three, four months to try to weed out who's good, who's not. Yeah. And it's definitely something you don't want to do when, when you're talking about getting out of state. So I think that the high-level summary is like, you've got a process for everything. So every question I answer, you've got an answer for, and you know what you're doing. So I'm assuming everything in your book is outlining each one of these steps, right? 
Yeah, that's exactly what it is. I just want more people to be able to copy what I'm doing because I don't want people to think I can't invest in real estate. It's too late. I can't invest in real estate. I don't have enough money. I only have 10 or 15 grand. I would need 40. Well, maybe in Ohio, 10 or 15 grand is a 20% down payment. You can get started there. You can you can learn a little bit. You can get your feet wet. And then when you want your confidence is built up, you can go do it where you live or somewhere else. And it's a little bit easier for you. And what I've been told is that not only do these systems work out of state, they're really the way you should be doing it in your own state too. You shouldn't be doing the worker B work. You should be working at a high level, trying to find deals, trying to build systems, trying to find partners, whatever you're lacking, that's what you should be looking for. If you don't have money, you should be going to find money. If you don't have experience, you should be gaining experience. If you don't have a network, you need to be getting yourself plugged in somewhere. You should not be showing up to sweep the floor when your tenant leaves because you don't want to pay somebody 25 bucks to go clean it. So for everybody that's in a market where you can't currently cash flow, you're you're completely out of excuses at this point. So for $9.99, you can go on Amazon right now, type in David Green Real Estate, D-A-V-I-D-G-R-E-E-N-E. And the name of the book is Long Distance Real Estate Investing. So you can get it for 10 bucks on Kindle, 17 bucks on paper, paperback, and $14 on audiobook. So, um, yeah, for, for basically the, the price of, uh, lunch, you can, you can get all this, this education. And I know David, you also have a website where you've got a lot of blog articles and a lot of resources when it comes to this stuff too. What is the URL of, of that website? So it's greenincome.com, spelled like my last name, G-R-E-E-N-E, income.com. And I basically just, all the blog articles that I write, all the investment advice, the financial advice, the strategies, I put pictures and walkthroughs of every rental property that I buy, all the flips that I do, the podcasts I've been on, you can see them there. There's really just a lot of information to help investors that want to start learning about investing and they're afraid that they don't know enough. Um, if you're not buying property and you're not learning through, you know, like experience, then you better be learning through somebody else's experience. Absolutely. So, um, I'd like to thank you for, for coming on today. Any final last words for anybody who says I can't do this? Yeah, we're in 2017, man, or woman. We're not in uh, 1972 anymore. The, all the due diligence that you need to do on a property is available to you through the internet. There are pictures and videos of people who live there. They can do it for you. And there is a world of people whose number one job is to find people like you and do a service for you that you can't do yourself. There are property managers, handymen, real estate agents that don't get paid unless they find you and you hire them to do something. So quit thinking that you need to do it yourself. Just start looking for really talented people who are good at what they do to refer you to other really talented people who are good at what they do and start buying in a market that makes sense for you. I would say that the majority of investors I've talked to did not make money on their first deal or maybe even their second, but they learned so much that they were able to go crush it from there. Okay. If you lose money on your first deal, who cares if you're going to make a lot more money on the next one? Um, I know a guy, he lost about 15 grand on his first flip and he was crushed. He almost quit. He didn't thank God he made adjustments. And so he didn't make those mistakes again. He just made 300 grand on one flip out here in the Bay area, right? How many mistakes can you make and make up for it with a $300,000 profit on one flip? So that's what I want to encourage you. There's lots of ways to learn. The best one is by doing so find a market with a low barrier to entry and start investing. 
Thanks for listening to Agent Investor, and especially thank you for sharing the show with other agents and reviewing the show on iTunes. Every time you share the show, you are potentially changing someone's life. To get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors, join our free private Facebook group. Just go to joincamerancoaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there. And stay tuned for the next episode of Agent Investor.